Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Breaking news in the search for a killer. A killer that slaughtered four Idaho University students, we believe, in their sleep. In the last hours, police have issued a BOLO be on the lookout for a 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra. Why? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to our friends at KREM. Moscow PD saying today they're now looking for a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra. Police say tips and leads led investigators to look at additional information about the car being in the immediate area of King Street where the murders happened during the early morning hours of November 13th. Again, it's a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra. Police say the license plate is not known right now. But still, this is a significant step in the investigation as investigators have yet to release any information about a suspect or suspects. And this is potentially the first significant piece of evidence they've released publicly so far in their effort to solve this case. Very interesting. This is the first real piece of evidence that the Moscow police are releasing. This must be significant, although we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. In the last hours, cops announcing they are on the hunt for a 2011 to 13 Hyundai Elantra, white in color, pl- tag plates unknown. With me, an all star panel, but first I want to go straight out to Stephanie Pagonis joining us, Fox News digital crime reporter. Stephanie, when did this happen and what exactly did they say? Okay, so. 
Police have said that they have received tips and leads that have led them to believe they're looking for this white Hyundai Elantra sedan. Now, this vehicle, they believe, is from the 2011-2013 model. What they say that is interesting is that they have seen this vehicle in the immediate area of the King Street crime scene. This This came... What they say is in the early morning hours of November 13th, this is around the time that the victims are believed to have been killed. Officials previously told um, the public and the media that the victims were believed to have been stabbed between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. You know, this is one of the many, many reasons that one of the first things you try to do beside, after you secure the crime scene is try to develop a timeline. If the timeline is wrong... Almost everything you do after that is wrong. It taints the whole thing. For instance, if they got the timeline wrong, then looking for this white Hyundai may be completely irrelevant. Joining me again, an all-star panel. I want to go first to Jonathan T. Gilliam, former FBI special agent, former Navy SEAL, author of a hit book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival on Amazon. Jonathan, thank you for being with us. A lot of buzzwords, I'm sure, jumped out at not only me, but you and my expert in forensics, Cheryl McCollum. Uh, also with me, Karen Stark and David Leroy. But interesting, the immediate area of the murder house, the crime scene, at the time they believe the murders happened. Now, the only thing that I see there that could have a little leeway is immediate area. Was it right in front of the house? Was it a block away? But I want to hear your analysis. Well, the good thing is uh, with, with now that they have a vehicle that they're concentrating on, um, they can also look at the cell towers uh, that are around there. And they, they may not be able to identify specifically uh, who was in that car, but they can kind of pick out when a cell phone moved to another tower and where eventually those uh, those cell phones went if, in fact, they had one in that car. So, And, and I would think that uh, uh, somebody who has escalated this point of killing, um, like everybody else, they probably do have a cell phone. And if they left it in the car, then it would have stayed there and then left with them. Uh, that would actually be almost a better circumstance than if the killer lived nearby and left their cell phone at home and the cell phone had never moved. So if they can combine that, car with any type of movement of cell phones around there and then video footage. Uh, I think these are the types of things that and technologies that uh, investigators can kind of key in on and start to triangulate the movement of certain people or certain phones uh, or the vehicle to where they can start narrowing who this car belongs to. I think it's very important for them to incorporate all these different things. And I think you saw an example of this type of tracking with uh, the abduction and murder that just happened in Texas a week ago of a seven-year-old girl. So now that they're at this point, if it is in fact somebody associated with the killing, like in Texas, they will be able to use the digital evidence to quickly start kind of honing in on potential subject. You know, it's really interesting, Jonathan Gilliam, that you bring up the case of Athena Strand. She is a seven-year-old little girl that was at home with her stepmother, and she and the stepmom had a little fuss, so the stepmom believes she's going back to her room, when in fact, uh, she went outside, a FedEx driver came along and got her 
ended up killing her. Could you explain again for uh, those listening? On day one, I suggested a data dump, which is a real pain in the rear end, very exhaustive search of who, based on a cell tower, the cell phones in that area at that time, that interval of hours, say between 2.50 and 4.30 a.m., and it can be done really right down to the block. So if you could explain that and how you would integrate that along with movement of the cell phone and IDing the car. You mentioned video, but Cheryl McCollum and Stephanie Pagonis, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they've got any ring doorbell or any surveillance video. As far no. as I know, there were not many cameras around, and it's been a question lately of, if there are cameras now, were they installed after these attacks happened? We've spoken to neighbors, some of whom had said that they decided to install them after the fact. Were you going to say something, Cheryl, on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I believe at some point they do have that car on video, and I think that's how they're tracking the movements of that car. I, I, I don't know that they've tracked the movements of the car yet or that they have it on video. I mean, I hope you're right. Uh, jump in, Jonathan. So also with those ring cameras, uh, before I say about the cell towers, those ring cameras... Most people, I'm guilty of this myself, you get a ring camera and then after the the initial trial period uh, goes away, people don't want to pay to have stuff recorded. So they just have the cameras set to alert. And so that's why you don't get a lot of recordings off of these cameras. Also, uh, you know, I worked, uh, was part of the 2008 investigation of a guy who rode a bicycle all over New York and drove up to at three in the morning, coincidentally, and drove up to the recruitment center in Times Square, put a pipe bomb down, drove off and blew up uh, the front of the recruitment depot. We've never caught that guy. And that's the most videotaped place in the world. So videos won't always show you what you want to see. However, if there are videos and they do show the movement of the car or of a phone, it won't be the car, but it will be of a phone uh, on these cell towers at that time, then you might be able to narrow it down. And, and your phones are constantly, whether you're using them or not, they are constantly reaching out. So it kills our battery. They're communicating with cell towers. And sometimes you can stay in the same place and they'll be pushed to multiple cell towers. Um, but it, that also can help because they can kind of triangulate where the phone may be. But as you start to move, especially in a place like Idaho where it's not as populated. You'll have a tremendous amount of cell towers in one place. And then as you get more remote, you're going to have less and less cell towers. So you'll be dumped off to, to the next one. And then down the road, you'll be dumped off to the next one. So that actually becomes not more specific, but you can tell that they're moving in a particular direction. So with the data dump, which you just described, I think that's a perfect example that they could give these families uh, who are seem to be very impatient with this and I understand why, but th- this is not like the movies, you know, yeah, when, right. we, when we have computer screens, that they don't make noises and things and, and, and there's not colors all over offices and evidence doesn't just get processed immediately. Going through these cell towers information, it is labor intensive. You got to get a subpoena to go get the stuff. And then people have to physically go through this stuff and, and figure it out. Yes. It'll take a long time, which is what I said at the very beginning. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. 
Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zinn, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zinn nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zinn pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zinn fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zinn pouch in is you. Zinn is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience. Which means Zinn pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. For those of you just tuning in, in the last hours, Moscow police have announced they are on the search for a white Hyundai Elantra. That is SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. And finding a vehicle connected to a crime has long been a way of cracking cases. Listen to this. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Exactly. But thank goodness he made a lot of mistakes. Parking in the driveway, having somebody see him. A neighbor took this photo out of her window of the suspect's red car in her driveway, thinking it might have been stolen and dumped here. It was 10.30 in the morning last Friday, minutes before the Winnick's home started burning. The neighbor, who asked not to be named, told me that she saw 28-year-old Austin Lee Edwards dressed in a black trench coat and face mask, walking with the 15-year-old who lives in the house. They were getting into the red car. She was trying to mouth the words to me, but nothing came out, the neighbor said. I looked down and saw she was barefoot. She was crying a little bit. She didn't try to make a run for it. One person spotting a red vehicle seemingly out of place and seeing a guy in a trench coat leading a barefoot girl to the car, 
That one car identification solved a triple homicide and the kidnap of a 15-year-old girl taken from her home, her family murdered, so the perp could rape the girl. She was found safely, and he was apprehended and then shot dead when he opened fire on police. Another well-known example is that of Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, listened to Jim Norman, case agent. We found out that an Oklahoma Highway Patrol trooper uh, had made an inquiry on Tim McVeigh within about 90 minutes of the bombing. Hanger had been heading south toward Oklahoma City based on a highway patrol dispatcher call for all available troopers to head to Oklahoma City to assist. He had gotten a discontinue. He was about 62 miles north of Oklahoma City, and he turned around in the median on Interstate 35. And as he's starting to head back north, he's passed by this yellow Mercury marquee that's missing its rear license plate. And so he pulls that car over, and the driver gets out of the car, and Hanger has to order him to stay by the door of his car. You know, um, Cheryl McCollum joining me. And I'm going to Cheryl because uh, not only is she the founder and director of the Cold Case Research Institute, uh, don't get me wrong, the Idaho case is not cold, but her job is to sift through forensics and come up with ways to solve cases. Cheryl, I could listen to investigators talk about how they solve murder cases with the identification of a car. And I've done right. it myself time and time again in court. Absolutely. I, I can listen to that case investigator on McVeigh. McVeigh was one of the worst villains that have ever been put in the jail. He needs to be under the jail. And he was caught because he was missing a little piece of a light on his taillight. Correct. Ted Bundy was stopped. Ooh, you're right. Wait, tell the story, Cheryl. Don't just throw out a name. Tell me about how he was stopped. I love that. I love that. Go ahead. But again, what it gives us, it gives us a name. That's not the Ted Bundy story. I, I know, but I'm leading up to the story. That okay. It's good okay. that he got stopped running a stop yes. sign because that gave us a name. It gave us a vehicle description. It gave us an address of where he was in his hunt for victims. So what I would do if this was my case right now, I've already pulled it up, Nancy. They have weather cameras in Moscow, Idaho. Oh, you are so smart. You're absolutely right. All that snow. Yes. So Jonathan Gilliam is right. There could be video video footage. Go ahead. Well, that's what I was saying. They're going to have video of this car and they're going to be able to track it's, you know, direction of travel and everything, because I can look right now at D Street. I can see the whole intersection, the gas station. I'm looking at Plouse River Drive, Line Street, Uniontown. I can see every bit of it. Sherrod Road. These are all public. All they've got to hey, do. You know, another thing about that, Cheryl, is that this was uh, the murders occurred on King Road. Right. It's a couple of blocks off campus. And I've been dumbfounded by the fact there seemingly are no campus security cameras around that area. Okay. Nancy, Dave Leroy here. Let me give you a little context. Oh, good. Please jump in. Hold on. Let me introduce you. Dave Leroy, high-profile lawyer out of Idaho, former attorney general, former lieutenant governor, former prosecutor, and so forth and so on. I got a whole page of his credentials. 
Go ahead, David. And remember, Jonathan, you're not with us as often. Please jump in. Don't be intimidated by Cheryl or Karen or David or Stephanie, our old hands. Jump in when you're ready. Go ahead, David Leroy. Nancy, you recall that four years ago, while campaigning on campus, I was actually at that Mm -hmm. residence, 1122 King Street. And the exact location, the precise area, is very significant here, too, because I think it underscores how important this car may be. 1122 King Street is halfway up a hill, and in a almost a cul-de-sac type of area where there, even during daytime, would not be a lot of traffic. So for a vehicle to be moving away from or in the area of this almost dead-end King Street, halfway up a hill, uh, off campus but not in any kind of high traffic area or near an arterial may be even more significant uh, than a typical car moving at 4 a.m. David Leroy, I love everything you just said, and I love it so much I want to relive it. Tell me all that one more time. 1122 King Street, uh, when I was there four years mm-hmm. ago, visiting the house, uh, was a little bit difficult to get to. Hold on just a sec. Hold on just a sec. Sydney, while he's talking, can you pull up Google Map and get me an aerial on 1122 King Street? Because I want to see if it's still the same way as David Leroy is recalling. Okay, go ahead, David. When I was at 1122 King Street uh, three years mm-hmm. ago, four years ago, uh, you have to go from the main campus uh, up an area across an athletic field and then turn right a couple of blocks. Okay, hold on. Up an area across an athletic field and then what? And then you begin to go up a hill mm-hmm. and it's almost a dead-end cul-de-sac uh, where you move into the parking area mm-hmm. of 1122 King Street. Mm-hmm. It is not adjacent to any high traffic area. There's not a lot of... Uh, uh, arterial type traffic there so at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. a car moving in that particular area is going to be far more significant than a car moving someplace else in town even at that same unusual hour uh, even during daylight there is very little traffic hold in on david which house is it show me which one you're talking about oh i see exactly what you mean i'm seeing exactly what david leroy is talking about there are not any big streets. Oh, Cheryl McComb, you got to pull this up. Leading right into where the house is. I see exactly what he's talking about. Um, it's kind of in a circle-ish of roadway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. There's not a lot of traffic going in and out there. So any movement in the middle of the night between 3 and 4. I want to know who saw the car at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. But any movement of that car near 1122 King, I mean, I would say that's immediately suspicious. I want to get that person and find out why they were there. And, um, hey, you know, Karen Stark joining me, uh, renowned New York psychologist joining us from Manhattan. She's at KarenStark.com. Karen with a C. Karen, um, I always kind of laugh inside when I'm watching a crime, a pretend crime show. Let's just pretend we're talking about CSI or Monk or something. And um, a car is parked on the street and they always get a ticket or something at the time of the crime. Always happens there's something about that car that is noticed by somebody. 
and that car is always connected to the crime. At the end of four segments, the case is solved, and that includes commercial breaks. Because it's not that neat and easy. Just like Gilliam was saying earlier, it's not like that at all. But that has a grain of truth in it. Why are people, killers, perps, so arrogant? I mean, it's like they're driving up to McDonald's to get a Big Mac as curb service. They park right there, do the crime, and then leave. What what frame of mind is that? We're not thinking about those kinds of details very often, Nancy. I mean, think about that whole story with Ted Bundy. I mean, not going to a stop sign. And it's everybody's looking for this guy, and that's how they catch him. And I'm thinking about this particular scene, and whoever this is, a person or, or two people, they did not care about the fact that there were so many people, and they took huge chances. Hey, you know what else it might be, Karen Stark? Um, not caring arrogance or Jonathan Gilliam recklessness. We've heard this as a, quote, sloppy crime scene. What does that mean? And then the recklessness of potentially having your car parked right outside. It shows a certain degree of unpreparedness, not planned, which tells us about the mind of the killer. Impulsivity is what you're talking about. Yes, Jonathan. Right. As as I'm looking at this map, I'm looking at the same map that you have. Um, You you have to realize that there's that's on a grade, a hill grade there. But there's multiple places that somebody who was going to think their way through an attack uh, and be a methodical attacker, if they were driving, they would have parked their car in a vicinity just outside of there and walked through the trees and probably not been spotted. Even that area of trees behind where their house is is a known path for people to walk to and from uh, school and uh, up to those that's fraternity houses above uh, that house that actually the Sigma Chi house looks right down on their mm-hmm. house. So, um, you know, as I'm looking at that, there's so many places that that car could have been parked. And again, that's where if there are any cameras on any of those buildings, uh, if the, if there's cell towers anywhere around there, that the phone could be handed off to multiple uh, cell towers. And, uh, and that helps in triangulating where that car might've been. But, this is a very interesting place because, uh, as, um, as Dave was explaining there a second ago, uh, the way that closes off in a cul-de-sac, uh, there's a lot of roads there that do the same thing. There's very, there's several roads that stop and the, and anybody who goes into that is going to have to turn around and go back out. So what I would hope is if they find cameras that they can, uh, look earlier in the day and see if that car was there earlier in the day because there is a chance that uh, if they were actually looking and stalking this neighborhood that they had been through there before. And I would think that's probably the case. Guys, take a listen to our friends at CBS. There's a major development tonight in the murder of four college students in Idaho. Detectives want to speak to the driver of a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra with unknown license plate. They say the occupants of the car may have critical information regarding the case. Also today, you can see police begin collecting the victim's personal belongings that they say are no longer needed for the investigation. They want to return them to their families. We are learning that much of the personal items in the home are being packed away 
The families, of course, will want these. But what does that tell us about the progression of the processing of the scenes? Take a listen to Chief James Fry, Moscow Police. Yeah, tomorrow, me and my command team and other individuals will be going in to box up personal belongings of the people that live there. And we're going to be getting that, those items back to the families. Um, it's time for us to um, get those things back that really mean something to those families and hopefully to help with some of their healing. We have a lot of investigators investigating. And, um, you know, I'm not tied into the investigation side of it where I'm physically interviewing people. And, and it's important to me. It's important for us um, as a department to go in and, and take care of the families and, and get the items for them so that uh, they can have some of those back and some of those memories back that are fond memories. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I understand. I understand the, you know, the meaning behind some of those things. It may, it may be something that you know, we gave one of our children or something, and, and we're just trying to bring some of that healing. Stephanie Pagano is joining us, Fox News Digital. What happened? Well, so yes, as Chief Fry just said yesterday, and even potentially today, they said there's a pen- potential they could be back today. Chief Fry and several other police personnel went into the home and came out with several items that we were told belonged to the victims. I want to stress that this is not every item inside the home or that belong to these victims, but some that police said they have deemed clear to be removed from the home. The families were not present at the time, at least as far as I can tell from everything I've seen and read, but this was police removing items, packing them up in boxes and putting them in trucks to haul them elsewhere. What do you make of it, Cheryl McCollum? I mean, I think after a month, if you're talking about some jewelry, some clothing, some pictures, maybe some objects that are important to the family to get back because they were a sentimental gift or something. I mean, that's perfectly appropriate. Yes, I don't read anything into it one way or the other, except that they have managed to differentiate between what's important and what's not. Who's jumping in? Is that David Leroy? Go ahead. I would say that uh, there is, of course, uh, some opportunity for the defense in a case uh, when one is brought to say the crime scene was uh, damaged or tampered with, uh, Hopefully they're being extremely careful and scientifically neutral on anything they do in there. Uh, I agree with uh, giving the material back, but it does raise a defense possibility for attack. I disagree. Once the the scene has been secured and they have processed it, they should give all of that stuff back. As you know, I mean, of course you've seen TV, right? Once a murder scene has been cleaned and processed, that house will probably be rented out to other people. But what you said is right, David Leroy. They darn well better make sure they're done before they tamper with that scene. Not only do we understand items are given back to the families as they should be, to Karen Stark, that's sentimentally very, very important. It's, it's incredibly important, Nancy, because think about it. When you lose somebody, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm suspecting that when your dad died, you kept personal items. I know I did. And I slept for the longest time with my dad's glasses under my pillow. And it's just the way to try and hold on to the person for as long as you can. It's really important. You're right, Karen Stark. And you know that I did. Can I say one thing about that real quick? Yeah. Before we move on. This is, and I'm, I'm, I'm always coming from the investigative standpoint, right? Which unfortunately that it's hard for people to take is a very 
unemotional and neutral standpoint. And I've lost loved ones and I've felt the emotion, but when I'm doing investigation, I shut those things off. And I think in this case, um, what bothers me about them stopping what they're doing and taking the time out, they said for a second day, people are going to be in there uh, collecting items to get back to the family. That's investigators that could have been running leads. That time in, in this critical stage that they are stopping and having to do a, a critical search because they have to be very careful as Dave was saying in what they take and how they take it. Otherwise it could cause problems later on. Guys, I know what Jonathan Gilliam is saying may sound harsh, but how are we to know the killer didn't come into the bedroom and pick up one of the girl's brushes or touch her things sitting on her vanity? We don't know. So I, uh, the point is well taken, harsh, but true. Another facet of the investigation we haven't heard a lot about, and it's because suddenly focus was put on uh, Kelly Gonsalves and her roommate, Maddie, after Kelly's father came out and stated that he believes Kelly was the intended victim, making the others, I guess, collateral damage. Uh, we don't know that is correct, but... We do know that cops are now honing in on the movements of the other two murder victims, Zanna and Ethan. Take a listen to our friends at ABC. Police zeroing in on the movements of two of the University of Idaho victims, Zanna Kernadel and Ethan Chapin, the night they were murdered. Looking specifically at the hours between 9 p.m. and 1.45 a.m. when the couple was believed to be at Ethan's fraternity. Why are you looking for more information specifically about where Zana and Ethan were in regards to his fraternity house? That actually seems to be one of the larger areas that we don't have a lot of information in. And so being able to locate what they did that night to maybe who they contacted, maybe any routes that they took home, that would be important for the investigation. To Stephanie Pagona's Fox News Digital investigative reporter, what do you know about their movements that night? I'm talking about Ethan and Zana. Right. So uh, there has been for days, if not weeks, questions about where they were. Um, you know, it, there are there's a piece of the puzzle that has is still missing regarding their whereabouts. And police seem to be be concerned that these people who might have been with them might have been doing something else. Who And they might therefore be fearful that if they say what they were doing, they might get in trouble for something else if that makes sense. But police have made it very clear to me and even in their reports, they're just trying to figure out what happened here. They're hoping that could shed more light on what was going on, paint a bigger picture of what was happening. Now, we do believe that earlier in the night on November 12th, Ethan actually attended an event, a different Greek life event on campus with his sister. He is a triplet his two other siblings did also attend the University of mm -hmm. Idaho. So that does paint a picture, but as far as I know, and, and it's not, I'm not certain on this, but there's a question of whether Zana was with him, and if, and if she wasn't, where was she during that time? That's a really good point. What does this mean, Cheryl McCollum? Well, again, you're trying to connect these dots. Who did they interact with? You know, when did they leave? Where did they go? Because you're talking about from 9 o'clock at night to about 1.45, so almost five hours that their movements are unaccounted for. So we don't know if they came in contact with somebody, if they went somewhere and, you know, purchased something or 
went to another party. We don't know where they were for at least five hours. And that's something police want to know. And why do you believe it is so significant, Cheryl? Because, again, at some point, these four people intersected with a killer. Was it before that killer entered the house? They, they're going to want to narrow this down. Did, did Ethan have a problem with somebody? Did they have a you know, little argument with somebody over something? We don't know. We don't know if it's the food truck people. We don't know if it's the Uber driver. There's all of these connections that we've got to check off before we move on. And again, the car is a great start, but, you know, you've got two other people that have nothing to do with, you know, the food truck Mm -hmm. or the Uber Mm -hmm. driver. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeowners even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Not only are they zeroing in on the movements of Ethan and Zana, which there are gaps of hours leading up to the murders, we also are getting a little light shed on the claim that Kelly Gonsalves was the intended victim. Take a listen to Kena 
Whitworth. Police also addressing information about the victim's manner of death after Kaylee's father said he learned his daughter's wounds were much more severe than her friends, fearing Kaylee was the target. Please don't be my child. That's the target. Police telling ABC News they have not provided the family with that information. Authorities also telling me they're not attempting to refute what the family is saying. Ultimately, they want to protect the integrity of this investigation. But as time marches on, Steve tells us he's been approached by a private investigator to help solve this case. Okay, I'm trying to decipher what the Moscow police are saying. They're not refuting what Steve Gonsalves is saying, that his daughter's uh, injuries were much more brutal and severe than the others, indicating she could have been the target. They're not refuting it, but they're also saying, we didn't say that. So what are they saying, David Leroy? Well, we've had a lot of trouble with this whole word targeting right from the outset. Originally, it was used uh, to try to calm the public to suggest that this was a sufficiently targeted homicide for people involved, that the rest of the public generally in Moscow and on the campus should not be concerned. Then we got into trouble with... uh, for instance, a prosecutor saying that it appeared one person was specifically targeted. Then we backed off from that saying, well, we're not sure that either the residents or any person was targeted. So we've used targeted the word in a couple of different ways to try to generally calm the public and then to try to uh, characterize specific evidence as to either a location or a person. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, the word targeting has any use for us anymore. The specifics of who did what to whom and who received what uh, is important. And apparently the police are not willing to say, as the dad did, that uh, the wounds on one specific person were more significant uh, to the point of being valid evidence as to who a target was inside the house. I I think it's just the police being careful not to compromise the investigation. What do you think, Cheryl? I mean, again, Nancy, I think it's really important that we understand what they're trying to connect. They're not just trying to connect these victims with somebody. Now they're, I mean, honestly, they're having to look at the dog. Why does the dog have no evidence? Why was the dog left alive? Why was the dog put in another room? Oh, interesting that you brought up the dog. Take a listen to ABC. Zana and Ethan stabbed to death less than a block away at Zana's home, along with Kaylee Gonzalez and Madison Mogan, who were found on the top floor. Two roommates survived, along with Kaylee's dog, seen in this TikTok video. Authorities now say the dog was found inside the home, but in a separate room from the victims. How important is the behavior of the dog in your investigation? We don't believe that there was any appearance of forced entry into the home, and as well, At this time, we have not determined if the dog was inside the residence during the murders or not. What we do know is that the dog was inside when officers arrived. The dog did not appear to have any evidence on it. Okay, what, if anything, can you conclude from that, Cheryl? Well, again, the dog had no blood, so the dog was not in the bedroom near its owner. The dog did not sympathize with the owner after death. That's very unusual, so it says to me that that dog that loved and cared about her was nowhere near her, maybe put in another room with the door closed or put outside the bedroom door and that door was also closed. To me, it's key that the dog was left alive. That tells you about the psyche of the killer. And again, you, you've you got this animal that can't speak to you, 
but in certain ways certainly can. Are you suggesting that the killer may have put the dog away in a different room? I'm flat out saying that. Yes, absolutely. It reminds me of the case of Molly Tibbetts, who went jogging, and a big factor in the reasoning, the rationale of police about what happened that night was how she left her boyfriend's dog back at the residence. Just thinking through what we're talking about, let me circle back to the car. But Nancy, you remember Nicole Brown. Her dog was frantic. Her dog had blood all over him because he was going back and forth between her. I recall Akita very, very well. Yeah. And in that case, police at some point started their timeline based on when neighbors heard the dog howling Um, in the car. There are ways, there are entire units within metro, metropolitan police stations that are devoted to finding stolen cars. Cars are very unique. The taillights, the front end, the slope of the rear or the engine cover changes every one to two to three years. One of the ways that cops can determine the year the make, year, model of a vehicle. To anyone on the panel that is familiar with that, jump in as to how they can identify this is a 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra. Um, what about it, Gilliam? I mean, this is really not just a, a, an art, but a science among police Departments, Right. Well, this is, you know, actually, to be honest with you, this is probably one of the, the lesser technically advanced and, and kind of that old gumshoe police officer type of technique where the only difference is we have cam- more cameras out there. You can get a fuzzy picture of a car and uh, the the uh, usually the uh, the automotive divisions where they do uh, automotive crimes. Uh, that's in the bigger cities. But uh, people who are who know vehicles very well can look at these different pictures and uh as you said every couple of years they change something and if they can just pick up on some of those aspects of the car um it's it's pretty much a comparative uh type of investigating and a knowledge base and this is the other thing when it comes to any evidence collection or uh going through the evidence you have to have people who are experienced in this and so when you're looking at these types of vehicles uh they must have a picture somewhere of a vehicle that they're queuing in on this year. Otherwise, either that or somebody has said that they know somebody uh, who has this year of a vehicle. There's another issue on the vehicle to Karen Stark. I recently had a case where a car approached a crime scene at night. The witness was um, at least 30, 40 feet away. She could not see the make of the car. What she did see were the taillights. It was dark. And she said that they looked like two exclamation points on either side of the car. What it turned out to be, as I recall, was a Cherokee. Um, and in the newer, in the Cherokees of that year, there were lights going down the side of the car, either side, and then at the bottom near the tailpipe. So in her mind, it looked like two exclamation points. Now, if you've stolen a car and you're using it for a crime, that's one thing. But there's something about the human psyche. They don't want to get rid of their own car. And if this Elantra belonged to 
a material witness or the perp, they may not want to get rid of it. Well, I think it's yeah, interesting, yeah. Nancy, also that it's a decade-old vehicle between yeah. 2011 and 2013. It sounds to me like it would be the kind of car that a college student would take to campus. And what about that psyche I was asking you about, Karen Stark, of not wanting to get rid of your own car? Well, because you're attached to your car, Nancy, and particularly if you think that there's a possibility it's a college student, you wait such a long time to have a car. And if it's somebody impulsive, as we've been talking about, they're not even going to think out the fact that this car is something that they should get rid of because they're so intent on keeping their car and having their identity tied to the car. So that's, that's a really interesting point. And also the fact that there's a possibility that they're talking about people in the car, not person in the car. So what does that mean? Were there two people that they're talking about more? What, what is it that the police are looking for? Guys, The tip line is 208-883-7180. Repeat, 208-883-7180. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace signing off. Goodbye. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l e e s a dot com slash iHeart.